Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I am here with my co-host, Diana, and we are welcoming a great guest, Stacy Feldman-Hausner. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you all. We're excited, too. So for the audience, just to have some context on Stacy's background, she has successfully mediated hundreds of cases in the areas of business, family conflicts, personal injury, employment, real estate, as well as a number of other areas. She's known as an out-of-the-box thinker, and I'm really excited today to get her take on an area that we're always trying to grapple with with our clients, I think both as family members and as professional advisors to families, which is this issue of conflict and how do you come to a solution that, as I always joke, nobody is happy with, but everybody can live with. So Stacy, I'd love to hear a little bit and have our audience understand, you know, how did you get involved in this field and in your work? All right. Well, thank you for asking that. Uh, I started, I came from a little bit of a different background than maybe some of your other guests, and that is a background of law. So I've been a lawyer for 25 years, and about 10 years ago, I thought I wanted to change. I loved the law, but I was interested in a career where I was helping people come to a resolution. I was a little less interested in the fight component of legal advocacy. So I decided to get a master's of law in dispute resolution. And I took this program at the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution. It's at Pepperdine University School of Law. And in this program, I had the opportunity really to study psychology of conflict, communication in conflict, um, and really develop a skill set, a toolbox for resolving disputes. Um, And since then, I have mediated in the courthouses. I've mediated for the Department of Fair Employment and Housing and the Center for Conflict Resolution. And for the last four years, I've been at ADR Services. which is a panel of neutrals. So we handle all types of disputes. Also on the side, I've really enjoyed teaching. I've taught um, probably about 20 classes already in mediation theory and practice at Pepperdine School of Law. And I train judges and lawyers who are becoming mediators. So it's really been great fun for me. I am a former lawyer myself, Stacy, And I think that had that been a route available 35, 38 years ago, <laughs> it might have been appealing to me then too. It sounds like a really good transition from being an advocate to being a mediator. I absolutely love it. This was everything I loved about the law had to do with the people component of it um, and finding the resolution. So I, I feel very lucky to have stumbled into this career. So from your experience, when do families involve mediators? 
as they try to divide money or in family businesses, when do you actually become part of the landscape of the next phase of resolution? That's a great question. And I think that I mostly get involved when people are having difficulty communicating productively. So as a neutral, we are impartial and we are unbiased and we can frame conversations in a way that people cannot communicate with one another. Sometimes we can take out toxicity. We can help people understand each other. And the neutrality really gives us that ability to do so. So when communications are breaking down amongst family members, um, that's when we can be uh, very productive and helpful for them. And I, I like to think that with families, they tend to have fixed mindsets about one another. They have a lifetime of experiences. Um, and sometimes it's hard for them to hear each other or to get outside of the labeling. And that's how we can be helpful. We can help um, with this filter. So I, I have... I. I find that when the communication is breaking down or the ability to connect and understand is when we can be really beneficial. Stacy, that's interesting. Do you feel like there's a point, are there things that a family should be considering doing before they bring you in? I mean, is it as soon as something evolves, I'm thinking about some of the families we've worked with where there's been tense dynamics, particularly if there's been some sort of asset involved. You know, is it the moment that they're discovering they're on different pages or are there things that families should be considering before they bring in somebody like yourself? I absolutely think they should try to resolve the dispute without a neutral um, if they can have productive communication. So what does that look like? It's really kind of the how that's important. Um, being able to show some empathy is important. Um, empathic listening is a really key to somebody feeling validated and understood. There's a woman by the name of Brene Brown, and she talks a lot about this. Um, if you want to Google her, she has online skits and whatnot that help people with empathic listening. But a simple example would be if someone were complaining to you that they were having trouble with their spouse, an empathic response would be, I'm here for you. Um, tell me more about it. A response that wouldn't be as helpful would be, well, at least you have a husband. Um, so really learning how to show empathy, if you can do that. Another way for productive communication would be validation. Let somebody know you hear them, you understand where they're coming from. Uh, respectful communications, if that can be done without a mediator's involvement, that can be very beneficial. Um, appreciation. People want to know that they are appreciated if they're giving in or trying, working to understand or working to have a relationship. Um, those types of, of skills can really, can really help people have productive communications without a mediator. Um, also asking questions that can get you to understand why they're taking the position they're taking. So that's what we call their underlying interests. And there's some great books written about this as well. There's a book called Getting to Yes, which is a seminal book in how in understanding how to negotiate where we can create these mutual gains where everyone can feel happy um, with the end 
end result. And that's asking for the why. What is underlying? Why are you taking this position? Why do you feel the way you feel? Getting to what their goals are. And if you can get into these types of productive conversations, then you don't need us mediators. Um, so it, I'd say if, if you don't have the ability to do that, that's when we can be helpful because we can we can um, cultivate a lot of this type of dynamic and conversation. I have this image of you coming in with fire hoses and flak <laughs> gear yeah. on, because if you're waiting until families can't talk to one another, then you must be encountering an enormous amount of tension when you walk into a room. <laughs> This is very true at times. Uh, sometimes they get us involved early before it gets to that stage. Um, but oftentimes, especially with family disputes, there's high emotions, right? And there's a lot of triggering comments and sensitivities. So we are very careful with how we communicate. The very nature of the fact we're neutral and we're outside of the family allows us to have this kind of superpower where people can listen to us and hear things they can't hear from one another. So as mediators, we rely on that superpower and we try to connect. So it's about asking the right questions. Oftentimes I think of like a hotel corridor and you have a bunch of doors and I think of the doors as questions and some questions, you know, some doors we want to open and ask questions, but maybe that's not going to be very productive. So we'll close that door and we'll go into another door and we're managing information. We're managing how the message is given and received. I, um, a lot of times will take people and speak to them alone so that I can connect with them and really get to the heart of the matter and then strip away a lot of the negative parts of the communication and communicate the positive information to the other side to help them understand each other. I'll coach people on maybe we could say it this way and not this way. Are you comfortable with that? You know, also when we're listening, um, people have different tolerances for conflict. And so I want to get uh, be able to assess that. Some of us you know, are able to hear loud voices or changes in tone in a way that others are not. So I, I'm dealing with that as well. Um, but yeah, we get in there, we manage it all, we help make the communications collaborative and productive. Um, so we can be very beneficial in that way. I can imagine, I think Diana's um, analogy was an apt one. I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about what you do in the hypothetical, Stacy, I have to say it's very impressive and it makes total sense. But I'm trying to imagine some of the families we've worked with when, for instance, like, what do you do in the case where there's just a very big personality and maybe they're in control of the wealth? I'm thinking, you know, a patriarch that we've worked with in the past who really has adamant opinions about the way, you know, his son should enter rehab and what he should and shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. But in your context, it might be he might have a very specific vision as to how the business is going to go from one generation to the next. You know, I'm trying to think of your, your collaborative approach, and we, we both, Diana and I, adore Brene Brown, but I'm trying to think of all of the principles that, that you mentioned and that we know she espouses working in that context. Like, what do you do when you just have one or two pretty challenging personalities who have a certain level of rigidity? Like, how does the family make progress in those situations? 
That's a great question. And it is a dynamic that comes up often because in any negotiation or in a dispute, power plays a big part of it. Power, domination, control. And that can be a big, what we call negotiating advantage, but it also can alienate the other side, right? So we would really need to work with the person that has this personality and talk to them about the impact of the communication and work with the others. And I I think it's more helpful in a situation like this, especially initially, to talk with them individually about how their communications are being perceived and kind of coach them on that. And then also the rest of the family that's responding to that or potentially intimidated by that, we want that we want to help them communicate that as well as that feeling to be understood. So it's a lot of managing that, um, managing the, the respect, um, the feeling of potentially unrealistic expectations or the resentment they may feel about being treated unfairly or not being appreciated. So we're helping with all of that messaging. But it, it's very true that those type of dynamics can be an obstacle to settlement um, or obstacle to resolution, right? So we do, once we identify them, we have to get in there and try to control that dynamic. I would imagine that like a lot of things, when the stakes are high, the emotions go with it. So do you have a couple of best practices you use when mediating tense family dynamics when high wealth is involved? Or are they just the same principles on a more powerful level? That's a fantastic question. The good news when high wealth is involved is typically it does not involve people feeling desperate about money. I spent about a year mediating in the small claims court where the amount in controversy is under $10,000. And in that scenario, people are very aggressive because they're feeling a desperation with the money. So the good news is in the high wealth context, we don't have those types of conversations. Conversations. The bad news is we do have a lifetime of experiences that have caused people to have these headsets and these filters within which they see things. So we're just dealing with different types of issues um, with family dynamics with high wealth. We have to deal with expectation. We have to deal with issues in surrounding fairness. And as a as we know that that's a very subjective determination fairness. Um, we have different perspectives on that. So we're dealing with those issues. We're dealing with issues of appreciation. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we're dealing with power, control, domination, those types of issues. Um, and we get a lot of that in family dynamics. And the high, the high emotions, the triggers. And as neutrals, we can be very good at softening those triggers. Mediators are great with that because we can do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of helping with the communication revolving around these types of issues. So a follow-up question. How healthy does a family have to be to engage in the mediation process? <laughs> if we have a couple of what we would call in our practice IPs or identified patients with, with mental illness or substance use disorder or an eating disorder that's interfering with thinking, I would imagine the mediation process would be a different one. 
Absolutely. Um, and it depends on the severity, obviously. So if it's less severe, we could probably find help families find a solution despite that um, through our help with the communication. Um, when it's severe, I think you have to address the underlying issues before you can get to productive conversations and solutions. I mean, imagine trying, if somebody is addicted to drugs, trying to find a resolution while they're in the height of their youth, substance use, right? So, I mean, I would want to, if I were uh, trying to help a family with these issues, I'd really want to spend time with the person that is suffering from some of this and see what types of resolutions we can get with them. We might need some expert help, um, but certainly it does create a challenge. So I would recommend getting, you know, helping with the underlying issues first. That makes complete sense. I guess I'm curious, Stacey, are there situations you walk into that you say, geez, this is, it's not even worth a try. I mean, I am as Pollyanna as they come and like to believe every <laughs> family can get in a better place and every individual can recover. <laughs> But I, I'm curious if you if there's certain things, and I know what they are for our company when we kind of have to say, geez, is this, or at least at a minimum, take a pause and say, is this worth us getting involved? Do we think we're going to be able to be helpful? But I'm curious, is, does that, um, you know, how do you think about that in the context of your practice? That's a great question, actually. Uh, I am I am pretty much, I do not like to give up. I want to give it a shot, even if I think it could be challenging, because oftentimes you'll start talking about something and it will open the door to another conversation that reveals a pathway towards resolution. So there's nothing that stands out at, to me as saying, oh no, don't get involved here. I do think with men, severe mental health or substance abuse or severe behavioral issues, we would want to get an expert in those fields involved um, before I think it could be productive. But in terms of issues or personality types, there's often a pathway, I find, to resolution and oftentimes an unexpected pathway. Can you give us a, a case example? And I'm going to ask the question um, two ways. One is one that you, you learned from that maybe had a, a great outcome and then maybe one that you uh, learned from, but uh, it was more of a, boy, I'm growing through this example, but maybe it wasn't as successful as, as you hoped for it when you started at the outset. Yeah, I absolutely can. And I think we could use the same example to show you um, both sides. I worked with a family a few years ago um, in which the, it was a family of five with three adult siblings. The father had recently passed away and the mother was being cared for full time by one by her daughter um, who she was living with her daughter at the time. And I, I, I think she was sick and, you know, they were planning in the next year or so that the mother would not be around. And she had about five pieces of property, some of which her children lived in, others that were income generating property. And they had hired me to come in and help them divide the property. And it, I was talking with them all separately. The mother, well, actually, the mother was with her daughter. The other two siblings were initially separate. And as I'm coming into these conversations, there's a lot of 
pain and hurt in the family dynamics. It was clear because of how they were answering my questions. And when I when we were talking about solutions, one of the brothers in particular who was there with his wife was not coming to what as an outsider looked to be a fair financial solution. It wasn't equitable. And as I was listening to him speak and his wife speak, it became clear that emotions were dictating most of what was being talked about. So I asked them if I could put this estranged brother in the room with his mother. He hadn't spoken to his mother in a while because his mother was living with his sister who he didn't get along with. And it was clear there was a very big problem in that relationship. So after much coaxing and not getting very far in the mediation after several hours, I asked to get the mother and the brother, this one, her son, this strange son together. And immediately when I had them together, there was yelling and crying. And as we worked through a lot of the dynamics, I could really tell that love and hurt, they were angry because they were hurt, um, that that was really dictating what was happening. And I coached them in their relationship. And after about an hour, I was able to divide everybody back up. We were able to get to a resolution and then all come together. And I learned so much from this dispute in the importance of connectedness among family, the importance of of helping them to, to get to what's underlying problems in their relationship and with their family dynamics. And that was the key to opening up the ability to get to a resolution where everybody could make each other happy. And that's, you know, in the family dynamics, that's what they all want. You know, sometimes they don't know it initially, and maybe they're fed up with it. But typically, I can't say always, they want that relationship, that connectedness. And when they feel the love, and they see a pathway to that, I see that they're able to really find mutual resolutions here and work together. So I learned so much from this case. And I've been able to, you know, use that in my future interactions with families and dispute and in conflict. It's really beautiful. So I guess how I hear that is that family connection and love actually is glue deeper than some of these issues are fractious, right? Absolutely. I see that with families. That's what I love about this dynamic. We have the high emotions, we have the sensitivities, we have all the triggers, right? You know, they people are talking about what happened in the bunk bed when they were four years old, and I, they're now adults, you know. But we have this love, this ongoing potential for a relationship that really makes these conflicts and these dynamics special. Totally true. I know that we always like to end our podcast with, you know, a bit to consider. So something, a a tidbit that you'd like the audience who are hopefully family members and the advisors that serve them to consider as they're thinking about issues around family dynamics and tension and conflict and mediation. Um, What would be your one to two pieces of advice for the audience, Stacey? And I, I, Thank you for asking that. And I think I've touched on a lot of this, hopefully, as I've been speaking, that, you know, you're a family and at the basics, there's love there and there's a lot of hurt. Um, sometimes, and there's a lot of anger sometimes based on this hurt. But if we can be respectful and communicate productively, try to understand one another, um, we can get to the heart of a lot of that and find a way to be together and 
talk together in the future. So I, you know, if we could keep that in mind as we're entering any problems that we may have, um, that go, it goes a long way really to helping resolve disputes. Thank you, Stacy, for joining us today. We appreciate your candor, your thoughtfulness around some of these issues. Thanks to all our listeners for listening to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Please like us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to and give us a rating if you've enjoyed today's session. And we hope you'll tune in again. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you both. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.